Amen. So glad you're with us this morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here, and today we're going to be in Psalm 150. So you have a copy of the scriptures, you can tap, tap or turn your way to Psalm 150. If not, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. And why are we preaching in a psalm? Why is the next series called Summer in the Psalms? Well, a couple of reasons. If you've been with us, we have been doing a series that we've been working through called Going Pro. And the reason that we did that, we were talking about ways that you can turn up the volume, increase the speed of your Christianity. And the reason that I wanted to encourage you, maybe highlight some of those means, is because we're currently in a world where some of those like natural rhythms, church rhythms, community rhythms, have been upset or squeezed or changed. That is a little bit more incumbent on the individual. But I want to balance some of that out. Every week we've talked about why we do what we do. But I, I want to spend some dedicated time to balance out that push to get you to do with why we want you to do it. And we're going to go to a psalm, or we're going to go to even several psalms, because I don't know about you, I'm going to guess that you don't love poetry. The reason I'm going to guess that is because nobody loves poetry. Maybe they used to. I don't know, like higher times, better times, when more educated people wrote and thought and loved. They got into poetry. We don't. I know that because I've tried to get into poetry. I've succeeded minimally. I've tried to get others involved in poetry. I bought Oh, they were so nice. They were well-bound, these really elegant books. They were complete works of George Herbert, who's the poet, if you're going to do one, that I would suggest. And I bought them for these guys that I loved and I was giving myself to, I was working with, and we were trying to, in the faith, grow. And I said to them, as a Christmas present, I gave it to them, and I said, this will make your life better. Doesn't get much more like pressure to read it. Can I tell you? I don't think one of them have cracked it. It's like month seven since they've had the gift because people don't really read or enjoy poetry. And so if I say, let's go to the Psalms, I hope you understand the sort of task that I'm giving myself or giving you, which is to enjoy something that seems like poetry. A couple of ways that we're going to go about it, and a couple of ways I think we're going to win even with a task like that. One is that they weren't really poetry. These psalms were written to be songs. They were written to be sung. And if you don't like poetry, you do like music. If the ancients really loved poetry, and we maybe a little bit less, we really love music. You can listen to music constantly now. It is socially acceptable to have those little white lines coming out of your ears in almost every setting. You can be listening to music 24-7. There's music that you wake up to, and you can tell Alexa to wake you up with whatever, and you can tell Alexa to put you to sleep with whatever, and you can listen to, through Spotify, literally every song on the planet, and you can feel with those songs as they express what those song makers wanted to express. Well, in the Psalms, we are given something that is beautiful, that is deep, that is broad, and that are songs. The one I'm going to read today is a, a bow that's on top of the whole Psalter. It's a, it's a way of understanding the whole thing. And as I read this one, it's only six verses. As I read this psalm to you today, I want you to start to feel the internal rhythm of the psalms. 
Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. It says it this way. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. We'll talk about that. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then in case you missed it, praise the Lord. Why? This guy, whoever wrote this, maybe it's a lady, this person is singing, screaming, yelling, feeling, emoting one rhythm. Praise the Lord. They're saying that word over and over again. And in the Hebrew, which the Psalms, the Old Testament, so you have your Bible, Old and New Testament, they were written in the languages that those people spoke. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word, that verb pair that says you, praise him, that's the word hallelujah. Have you heard that word before? The hallelujah chorus and handles and whatever. That word is a Hebrew word and it means praise him. And it means it as a command. That's not a nice invitation word. That's like a command yelling word. It's a second person plural masculine verb. It's a way most languages speak to everybody like saying, y'all, praise him. Why is it saying that? And why is it saying it so constantly? Well, one commentator said it really well. He said, this guy, whoever wrote this psalm, again, assuming it's a dude, maybe it's a lady, he begins every sentence with, hallelujah, praise him. And his sentences are very short. For he is in haste to utter his next, hallelujah, and his next, and his next. He is as one out of breath with enthusiasm or as one on tiptoe in the act of rising from earth to heaven. Do you feel it? If you don't feel it, can you at least see it? Can you see how this guy is yelling over and over and over again? We need more voices. We need more instruments. We need more volume. We need more movement. We need more orders of being. Not only do the people and all the people need to praise him, but the angels and all the angels need to praise him and the plants and the animals and all of those little things. Everything that has breath In being the last psalm, it can make us think about the last book of Scripture. There is a way in which this psalm is looking back over the entirety of the human experience, like Revelation, the last book in the Scripture, is looking back over as it's looking forward to. Revelation 5 says it this way. John, one of the guys who is with Jesus all the time, as he is ending his life, God's giving him this book that he's got to write down and then give to the church. And in this vision, he says, I looked and I heard around the throne... What throne? The throne. This is God's throne he's talking about. And around that throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I don't know how many ands you're allowed to put into a sentence, but they just had to keep, they had to keep adding on. There's just too much. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's what's happening around the throne. And he's saying, let everything that has breath, every creature in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, all of them, the tiny little lungs of the hummingbird to the great big lungs of the whale to praise God. Now, what I need you to start to see is not the form, but the substance. Not the noise, the show, but what's animating, what's inside creating that show. If you watch on TV soccer, good luck. You, know, you can't even get it in America, right? you got to pay somebody. But you watch TV on Ameri- in soccer on TV, you can see hundreds of, before COVID, hundreds of thousands of people screaming their guts out about soccer. And if you're like me, you can watch it. I can understand that they are feeling that about soccer. But I don't feel that about soccer. I can feel that about other things, and so I can sort of understand why they feel it. But it's not something I can join with them in doing. They're like, man, you, man, you. It's just, I think, a way of saying Manchester United, a soccer team in England, maybe. They're screaming that, and they're so excited about it. And I'm like, okay. But I don't feel that. So if there's a bus of hooligans coming, I might act like it to stay out of trouble. But I don't actually feel that enthusiasm. But they do. There's a difference. This guy... This psalm writer is saying, praise him, praise him, praise him. He's feeling it. And you can see that he's feeling it. You can see that this individual is crying out on a level with all of Scripture and even all of creation and even the parts of creation that are beyond our sight. Even this angelic host are all yelling out. That's the form. The substance, that inner joy that's creating it, is that something that you feel? Not something you can sort of gin up to seem like the crowd. I'm saying, is that something that you really feel? Is that a pounding rhythm in your heart that needs some kind of expression? And so when somebody sings perfectly this praise him chorus, and you can say, oh yeah, finally. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Here we go. And you start singing that with them because you feel that with them. Is that you? You can be subdued. (laughs) You can be Caucasian. But do you feel it? Do you feel it? That's a question. What I want you to do is to, to see it. And then we can ask more questions about it. First, I want you to see that this praise, this hallelujah is beautiful. It really is praise. There's a show that I used to watch. And there was a time in the show where the boss is looking out over a group of people and he wants to start the the, uh, office party. It's like Friday and they're going to have an office party. He wants to go ahead and start it. And so he said, he gets on the mic, hey, everybody dance now. And they start playing the music and people are like still working. So they're just sort of looking at him. And then he gets mad and he goes, everybody dance now. And he says the same thing with a different tone. And then everybody sort of stands up and kind of like tries to dance because they don't want to get fired. That's not this. 
There is a power, a social power, a, a kind of collective peer pressure that can make you move, that can make you do. But is it real? This guy actually feels something that is worth praising. He sees something in God that is worthy of his praise. And while the whole psalm is littered with these hallelujahs, the hallelujahs are bouncing out of, emanating from, visions of, thoughts about God, real God. He's saying praise God in his sanctuary. He's viewing God now and he's thinking about the setting in which this diamond is held. He's thinking about his mighty heavens. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. This isn't mindless. His mind is very focused on something, something so grand that it is erupting out of him as he's thinking about God's mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Are you starting to see it? Let's think about some of these phrases. It talks about God, seeing God, and feeling this feeling that he gets from God and then reacting to it by inviting others to feel that same thing. Now, you, if you've really felt something like that, get it. You live in Utah. you got these mountains. And if you ever have friends come visit from somewhere else, they probably get frustrated with you for constantly trying to get them to admit how beautiful our mountains are. Rachel and I have that experience all the time. We'll have somebody come in and we keep saying, right? I mean, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go eat, you know. Okay, and then you go eat and you get to the Starbucks or the, the restaurant or whatever and you walk out. They're like, but from Starbucks though, right? And they don't, ah. And it's just so frustrating because all you want is for them to feel what you feel. And somehow when they don't feel what you feel, it invalidates in a little way what you feel or... It challenges, and you've got to somehow get them to admit until eventually they go, right, right. So much of our life is built that way. The big moments are built that way. You have a baby, and you hold that baby, and you start showing that baby to people. Why? It's not good for the baby. It's not necessary. There's videos. Take pictures. You start showing them the baby because there's something in seeing their eyes look at your baby and react that completes the experience for you. Think about a wedding, American weddings. You have the husband, the groom, you know, and you have the pastor and all the people. And then the bride. And what are they? The, the doors open, the music stops for just a moment. The doors open, the mom stands up, and then everybody else stands up, and everybody looks back, and the doors open, and what's there? That all of that grandness, all of that, all of that pomp and circumstance is just built for that one moment of seeing that vision. That pretty lady, she can be plain in that moment, though. She's perfect. And she's done up as well as she can be done up. And she's wearing the nicest thing that we can find. And as she's walking out, she's expressing something. And we're all looking and together celebrating something. I think in that moment, we know better than we know. We're feeling something and we're touching something even bigger than we realize. And it's a blushing bride because who wants to be seen like that? And goodness, are you up to that kind of admiration? But that's the idea. 
that as we see it together, as we feel it together, the praise rebounds and, and moves back and forth. It's supposed to be that way. When you see something that worthy, it's supposed to come back out of you in some sort of expression. This guy, he sees God in his sanctuary. He sees his mighty heavens. He sees God's mighty deeds, and he's thinking about his excellent greatness. He's got a vision of it. We have an even clearer vision of it. He didn't have Revelation. We do. In Revelation 4, and this is a lot of verses, but I can't say it better than John, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, around the throne of God. What was the throne that he's talking about? Well, around the throne of God are 24 elders, 24 thrones. And on these smaller thrones are seated the 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. And from the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, seven completeness, wholeness, the fire, this way of representing God's spirit, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And all around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with their six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night they never cease. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, which is always the one who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, uh, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things by your will. They existed and were created. Do you see the throne? Do you see the majesty, the grandeur? Psalm 150, he doesn't have this picture, but he can think of what Solomon's throne was like. And he can imagine what Solomon's throne reflected. He has in his vision this God, and it's creating that rhythm, that beat, that beauty is reacting inside of him. And it's creating this movement. It says that he, he looks up and he sees God seated in the heavens. What's he talking about? If you've ever read in Corinthians, Paul talks about having a vision and he's taken to the third heaven. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a common expression. There's heaven, or the heavens, meaning the sky. That's the first one. And then the second heaven, which is beyond that, which are the stars and the planets, the deep heaven. And then there's the third heaven, the one that's beyond that, beyond the space, beyond the planets, beyond the stars, higher than the, the heaven. That heaven. Think about that. The beauty of the sky, the beauty of the sunset, beyond them is even the beauty of the stars. The pulsing, creative, cosmic craziness of the space all around us with its just oppressive amounts of distance and its spectacular displays of color and power. And beyond even that, above even that, higher than even that, is the heaven where sits this, this God. This incredible sight. This worshiper sees in Psalm 150 this God and he says, beautiful. Beautiful. He doesn't whisper it like I do to be dramatic. He says, beautiful! And he starts crashing loud cymbals because it's so pretty. And he doesn't use the cymbals 
crashers that are made out of hay. He uses the big, strong oak ones so that it makes loud, crashing noises to say, beautiful. Do you see it? you got to see how beautiful this God is. Psalm 150 is saying, praise him because he's beautiful. Praise him because he's real. That's the second kind of idea that's here, and it's, it's maybe lost on us, but it's saying to us, he's really, really real. You should really feel this because he's really real. There are real Jews in a real time and place who really wrote this psalm and actually sang this song. They sang it, and they sang it with loud crashing noises because it really is real. They sang it, and they actually danced. They sang it, and they danced, and they expressed what John the Baptist said. When John the Baptist said that God must increase and I must decrease. Do you see how different that is from us? We always want to say God must increase so I can increase. Have you ever thought that? You want to get in on the ground floor of a company that's going to be successful so that your hard work for that company will increase its scope and success so that you can share in that scope and success, that you also can increase. Is that what the kingdom of God's like? No, 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 no. In seeing God, you realize that God will always be a singular word, that there's never going to be more than because he is so other than He's God. We're not. So we see him and we sing loud, beautiful praises to him. And we do it no matter if we become undignified in the process. In the scriptures, he talks about this this dancing that's taking place before God. The most prominent story of God's people dancing before him is King David, who's the highest king that we have in scripture before Jesus, after Jesus, other than Jesus. This King David is the king and the king in all of his beauty, representing to God, all of God's people, all of Israel, and representing to all of Israel, God himself. And what does David do when the presence of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant is coming back into the people of Israel? When God is separated and then he's no longer separated when his presence comes among the people? Do you know what David does? He puts on a linen ephod which is a garment that would allow some movement. And he danced. And he danced hard. He danced so hard that the ephod shifted at moments, and it was possible that he exposed areas that one would not want to do. And when that was pointed out by a lady who didn't understand the praise and only saw the form and rejected the substance, he said, I will become more undignified than this. The thing that I'm seeing to express the thing that I'm seeing, my ego is non-existent before that. It was really, really real. And that real realness met him, meets us. That beauty pounds on our brain and just creates a reaction because it's actual, because it's really, really real. You have to see it as real. You have to see it as beautiful before you can react in this praise response. There really is a God. And we praise knowing even more about him because we can see the real God in Jesus. This Jesus that came to bring this God to us. Not only do you need to see the beauty Not only do you need to see the reality, 
You need to see the availability. Because there's a way of looking at all this and seeing all of this and saying, boy, I'm really glad that all of you specialists can enjoy what you're specializing in. But that's not me. Can I tell you? It can be. This Jesus that we're talking about, the big deal about him is the fact that he's God. And the reason that we are embracing him, the reason that he came as a man is in order to make this praise available to us. As soon as I tell you that this is for you, that this is given to you, if you have a real understanding of who he is and just even a little bit of understanding of who you are, your next reaction is going to be, well, sure, for you, but not for me. I'm not allowed. I can't come into his presence. I'm, I'm a sinner. There's an accusation that comes immediately when you think, well, maybe, maybe I could enjoy this God. Maybe I could be in his presence. And then some little voice in your head, some little memory comes up, and then you go, oh, oh no, 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 never mind, not me. The Psalms talk about this. Psalm 65, it says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. He's talking about worship. And then he says, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. All the people are going to come to you, God. And yet, in this worship service, you know there's people who are going, but not me. I can't come before God. Will I be allowed to go? Will I be allowed to stay? And then verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Then we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Do you see what happened? All flesh come. We can't. We're sinners. And then he says, you atone for our sins. That's the praise that I think you are going to feel most sharply. You should be able to praise God as God, but let's not even get there yet. Let's just praise God as Savior. It's available to you because He has made a way to forgive the things that are keeping you from Him. Not only keeping you from access to Him, but even keeping you from a, 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 a desire for Him. The psalmist says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Really? Does anybody here authentically feel that? A day in his courts versus a thousand in Tahiti? A day in his courts versus a thousand, a thousand days anywhere? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Really? But that feeling is available to you as you understand that he does make a way to bring you into his presence. Jesus we call Emmanuel because he is God with us. He lived among us. He healed us and he taught us. He reached out his hand and he touched those that were unclean. You're not allowed to touch people that are unclean. Do you know why? It makes you unclean. You got COVID. I'm not going to touch you. I'm going to pray for you. I'll give you food or something, but I'm not going to touch you because your COVID is going to become my COVID. But Jesus reached out and he touched the unclean and his cleanness won. He made the unclean clean. 
till he reaches out and he touches our sin and death, takes it upon himself, and that sin and that death break. He dies, but in his dying, he makes a way for us to be totally forgiven, and then he rises from the grave. The perfect picture of it is that when Jesus dies, he bows his head and he says, it is finished, meaning that he has taken on fully the wrath of God for all the sin of man. And then he gives up his spirit, he dies. And when he dies, Matthew tells us that the curtain that separated God's presence from his people was ripped in two. Do you know why? Because finally, through Jesus, that presence is available. Do you know what that curtain was for? It was to hold God's holiness back from the people. Not literally, as though a curtain was finally going to like stymie God and he can't get around it. But the symbolism was that God's presence is going to be hidden from us because we can't endure that holiness. And yet the curtain ripped. Jesus making a way for us. Not in a rebellious way as though we're going to invade God's holiness and declare our suitedness to be among him. No, of course not. The devil tried that. It didn't work. He makes a way for us to be among Christ, uh, among God and His holiness, even with our sin, by becoming that curtain for us. He has become the way for us. My question again, do you, can you feel this? I know you can see it. You can see the structure, but do you feel the substance? You don't have to feel it like this guy did, where you're screaming out and going nuts and trying to do anything you possibly can to make it big and visible for other people. You don't have to feel it like that yet. But do you feel it a little bit? Our hope is that there's lots of people here who don't. I mean, Hope Church is a place where you really can belong before you believe. The hope is that there's lots of people investigating Christianity that are kind of around Hope Church that are thinking through it all the time. If that's you, then yeah, of course. You might feel a desire for it, but how can you feel it yet? I hope that you'll take the next step toward it. But if you say that you are a Christian, you say that, no, 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 I have received God's love. I have received God's forgiveness. And I do agree with his indictment on me as a sinner and the only way of salvation that I can have, which is through faith in Jesus. If you do say those things, do you feel it? Here's some hope I want to give you. It takes time to really enjoy the things that you should enjoy. It's an indictment on us that we don't enjoy poetry. Because we can all make fun of it as nerdy, but the nerds are right. Like, poetry is winning. Thousands of years of this stuff, we're not right. Those other thousands of people and millions of people and generations are right about it. It may take a little time for you to feel the beauty of God. Just start small and that's okay. It'll get bigger as you go toward it, as you try to feel it and try to understand it and, and look at him and really see him for who he is and put away all these things that get in the way and just trust Jesus as your forgiveness and just look to him. You're going to start to see and you're going to start to desire more and more. Uh, we all get it. I mean, I think we've all experienced that idea that like you start small and you get bigger and bigger. You gain greater appreciation. My lovely children will put ketchup on everything and they'll choose ketchup instead of anything. There's so many sauces in the world and yet they want ketchup. There's so many delightful foods with such subtle and beautiful 
flavors that balance each other out and it's just but what do they want to put on everything what's the only taste they want to taste okay but they're going to grow they're going to start tasting other things they're going to start enjoying more fully we all get that together Scripture is clear that as you continue to look, as you continue to see that power, that beat, that rhythm is going to start to beat in you more fully, taking over bigger and bigger chunks of your heart and becoming to you a greater and greater pleasure until it explodes out into your eternity and it becomes heaven. And yet, our attempts at it now are always going to kind of fall short. The worship that we do here at Hope Church is lovely. Nowhere else I want to be. And yet it's also human. And Lewis said it really well. He said, Our services, both in their conduct and in our power to participate, are merely attempts at worship. Never fully successful, often 99.9% failures, sometimes total failures. We're not writers, but we're pupils in the writing school. For most of us, the falls and the bruises and the aching muscles and the severity of the exercise far outweigh those very few moments in which we were, to our own astonishment, actually galloping without terror and without disaster. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, man, you're going to participate and you're going to do and you're going to struggle. And every time you come in here, you're going to be creaky and you're slowly going to have to kind of get moving again and slowly going to have to start thinking again about God and His forgiveness and His love and His grandeur. And that praise is going to start pumping again. But the real happiness, the real holiness, the real joy, that's always going to come only through a glass darkly until that day. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to feel it and I want you to enjoy it. I want you to see what's available, what's coming, what we're going to continue to talk about in the psalm series. My prayer is that you will, that you'll seek it out. Begin to feel it really. Let's practice even now. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would invade, that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise, that the loveliness of who you are, the epic power of who you are, the love that you have shown us in Christ, the forgiveness and the way in which you bring us to yourself would cut like a knife and begin to beat like a drum, that we would become a people who dance, Maybe we can't do it physically. Maybe it's distracting to do it corporately, but a people who really feel the rhythm of the dance. And I pray that as we feel it and as we worship, your name would be praised and our joy would double and treble and quadruple for your glory. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.